Welcome to Ebenezer's Podcast, a podcast about hearing, understanding, and applying the Word of God to our lives. My name is Leighton Erickson, and I'm Ebenezer's Lead Pastor. Thanks for joining us today. Please check out our website at ebenezerbaptist.ca to connect with us and learn more about our ministries. I hope you enjoy the message. Thanks, Leighton. As uh, you mentioned, I'm Pastor Kelly. I've been here between four and five years now, uh, serving at Ebenezer in the area of connection and mission. And it's good to be with you this morning to see you all. And you know how you can tell when someone's smiling by looking at their eyes? You know, you can tell that people are worshiping as well by looking at their eyes. So that's awesome to see that here today and experience that as, as we've gathered. I want to uh, welcome those who are online as well, uh, viewing with us today. Um, Great to have you joining us, wherever you might be, with family or friends. Um, And I just, I'm not a tech, okay, I I just, I don't do well with technology. It turns to mud in my hands, but I appreciate the tech and the work that's gone into that to make this a reality. And our tech guys, I got to tell you, have worked uh, day and night to make this happen. Chris is back there aiming the camera right now. Um, and so I just, I just want to say thanks to those guys for all of the endless hours that they put into our technology to make this a reality here today. <clears throat> and it's kind of weird, but if I move, that camera actually tracks with me. It's really unnerving if you want to try it. It's, it's really bizarre. Anyway, uh, my wife Sandy and I met when I was between my second and third year of college at Winnipeg Bible College. It's now Providence. Um, We spent a lot of time together that spring, attending different Christian concerts, came to Saskatoon, and believe it or not, there used to be a Monday night Christian roller skate at Rollerama here in Saskatoon. And so we would go and roller skate, like, yeah, I could even skate backwards without biting it. It was pretty good. (laughs) There's lots of times that we spent together walking and talking, and we even spent a day fishing with a buddy of mine and his girlfriend. And right off the start, we just realized this relationship had huge potential to go somewhere. But there was a a challenge looming on the horizon. Because when I had been in college, you know, months earlier, I had applied to go on short-term missions assignment with Arctic Missions. And I'd been accepted before Sand and I started dating. So this meant that we dated for like a month, and then I took off to Alaska for like several months. And I wasn't just going up to a Bible camp up there. There was a Bible camp, Victory Bible Camp. I wasn't, I wasn't going there. I was heading out to a little bush village named Stony River, Alaska, that was located uh, on actually an island in the middle of the Kuskokwim River. It's a big river. It's probably another third as wide as the Saskatchewan. It's huge. So to get there, I flew to Anchorage, drove to Palmer, Alaska, hopped in a four-seater bush plane, flew past Mount McKinley, which is massive. It's way bigger than anything else around it. Flew out into the tundra a couple of hours, then buzzed the airstrip to chase the caribou off so that we could land uh, at this little island place called Stony River. Population, this picture, is actually from 2016. So I was there like 35 years ago. It's doubled in size since I was there. Population now, 54. And in summer, it was about half that many because all the men were out fishing. 
because they'd smoke fish and keep them for winter. That's what they did. No power, no phone, no state trooper, and of course, no internet or email. The barge brought gas in once a year in 45-gallon drums. And you had to figure out how many drums you needed to get you through the whole entire winter and feed your generator and your snowmobile so that you could go and mind your chop line and all that kind of stuff. That was the big annual event. Needless to say, it was going to be pretty hard for Sam and I to stay in touch at this early kind of fragile point in our relationship. But we did our best writing letters, and we even made one phone call. Have any of you ever been on a satellite phone? Nobody? It is really quite an interesting experience because you talk and then you hear your voice bounce. And then you gotta wait for the person to reply. So we, we, we were online, well, not online, but on the, on the satellite for about half an hour, talked for about 15 minutes, the bill was 80 bucks. Sam beat her father to the mailbox that week to make sure she paid the bill before he saw it. <laughs> now, why do we make such a considerable effort to stay connected? I mean, the miles and the isolation and the lack of any convenient way of staying in contact would have made it easy to just say, you know what, hey, I'll talk to you when I get home. We could have easily done that. But we didn't do that because both of us realized the importance of the relationship. And so we did all that we could to stay in touch despite the barriers that were there. The last few months, we've all been going through this pandemic. I don't have to remind us of that. We know what it's like. We're not through it yet. Efforts to stay healthy in the midst of it have, have mandated smaller bubbles and even isolation. We remember that. Large public in-person gatherings like this, our church services, have been limited or canceled. It's made it really hard for us as a church family to stay in touch. We've not been able to meet with family and friends, and for some, there's still a fear of getting together. Despite the fact that many of our Ebenezer families are within easy driving distance of each other, it feels like we are thousands and thousands of miles apart. In response to gathering limits being imposed, church staff have worked hard to stay in touch with as many as possible, but it's been, it's been tough. I've just done like texting and email blitzes and that kind of thing, and the last one that I did, I had a 60% response rate. It's been hard. And now we're shifting gears. We're shifting gears to this reconnecting and regathering, and I think it's important to do that. But in the midst of this as well, I think there's a big question that's on the minds of a lot of us, and that's this. Is the relationship that I have with my church important enough to keep intact? You know, is the connection that I have with my Ebenezer family significant enough to do the work to stay engaged? And I think that's a big question that's on the minds of a lot of people. A few weeks ago, we began our fall sermon series entitled, Taste It Again. And the challenge of this series has been to refocus and to re-experience God in His goodness, despite all of what we've endured the last while. And today, in response to that big question about re-engaging, I think it's important for us to consider how God expresses His goodness to us through our involvement with the local community of faith. God expresses his goodness when his people are together in community. And that's what we want to look at today. Acts chapter 2, a passage that's familiar for some, but not all, and so I'll just read it today. Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. 
They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet in the temp together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, a lot, of, a lot of speakers and a lot of scholars, theologians, look at this and go, wow, here's the four major characteristics of a healthy church. And we could actually do a mini-series based on just this passage. Now, we're not going to do that today. We're only going to look at one characteristic of a healthy church, and that's the way that the believers related to one another. That's what we're going to focus in this today. So, the first thing that I see is the early believers were devoted to fellowship. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and some translations actually say to the fellowship, that group of people. Fellowship comes from the Greek word koinonia. It means to share what one has, regardless of what you have and regardless of what somebody else needs. You share. To be partakers with one another. To be companions. To be partners. And then there's an attitude piece in here too. And it says to enjoy participating with one another in this way. And so this is the description of the way that the early believers lived their lives. It was koinonia. It was connection. You need this, I got it, there you go. And it wasn't just about money or possessions. It was about doing life together. They were living this life of faith together. That's just simply what they did. And this way of living was a trademark of the early believers. The passage actually says they were devoted to this way of living. Devotion means to... Uh, to be focused, to be single-minded, to have only that, that aspect as, as the thing you're focusing upon. And so if we look at this, this, this tells us that the early believers held their faith in their spiritual family as their highest priority. It wasn't down on the list somewhere. This was their lifeblood. This was their lifeline in this time. And so they pursued it. They pursued the fellowship. They pursued being in, in fellowship. Everyone took that responsibility seriously to go after this and to make it happen. It wasn't about sitting back and, and waiting for someone to phone you. It wasn't about entitlement. This was something that all of them did together to make it work. When, when they pursued fellowship together, when everyone had that mindset, then no one was missed. And there was always room for newcomers to be included in the fellowship. Now again, this past season has been challenging. We've all been impacted by this, the anxieties and stresses of the pandemic. And in all honesty, church staff are included. You might be surprised to find out that we're not superheroes, except Leighton. Guy's got like energy like crazy. He's shaking his head, no. We've all had our low days. I don't know Leighton has too. We've all had low days. And the temptation, I think, for everyone has just been to head to high ground and to turtle, you know, to just pull into your shell, to get away from everything that's going on and just try and stay safe. But the example of the early church shows us that, you know, we, we can't function that way. We can't do that because believers experience the goodness of God when we're deeply committed to one another and we're deeply engaged in the lives of each other. This koinonia, this true fellowship, that only happens because God's at work. It's not about us but he is at work when we're together. It's the Spirit of God that allows us to become transparent. It's the Spirit of God that allows us to freely share and to express our struggles and our joys, to open our lives to one another like the early church did, and to invite others into that experience, that life-transforming work of God 
uh, to invite them to come alongside us as he does his thing in us. And we see him doing that, and we see him doing that in the people beside us. That's the goodness of God. And he expresses that goodness as we gather together as his people in community. The next thing to note is the early believers were part of a spiritual family. Now, I want to just take a second and back up in the Acts 2 passage and look at the context of what we read earlier. The description of the early church that we read takes place shortly after the coming of the Holy Spirit. So Peter was empowered by the Spirit of God, and he preached this amazing message. And 3,000 people came to faith. The gospel changed those who heard it. Acts 2.37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And so when the people heard the message that Peter was preaching, when they heard about Christ and what he had done on our behalf and what he had accomplished through his death and resurrection, they were cut to the heart. They realized their sinfulness, and they repented, and they were baptized. And so trusting in Christ made them right with God. Trusting in Jesus makes us right with God. That's the core of the gospel. But there's more to it. Bonus material, if you will. Trusting in Jesus also brings all who believe in him into a new spiritual family. A family. John's gospel says it this way. To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So everyone who accepts Jesus has this common bond in him. We're all adopted children of God, brought into his family through our faith in Christ. Paul put it this way in his letter to the Ephesians 2.19. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. So accepting Jesus makes every believer a child of God. That means we're all a part of the same spiritual family. Now, it's obviously, it's obvious, rather, that we've all been a part of a physical family. You're here, you've been born into a physical family. We all have a physical family. They're all different from one another. But there's probably some similarities, too. And one that I want to put, point out today is this, this, these family guidelines or family rules that you're starting to see in, in different places. Posters, even. Things like, take out the garbage when it's full. Let the dog out first thing in the morning. These are family guidelines. And some homes actually have brought posters into their homes just to kind of have fun with them. Uh, here, here's an example of some household rules. You've probably seen something like that. Do any of you have something like that in your house? I know like my brother-in-law and their family do. Others around I've seen have as well. I'll just read a couple of these. If it's dirty, wash it. If you open it, close it. If you sleep on it, make it. How many of you need that rule in your house? Don't answer if you turn it on, turn it off. If it needs done, do it. All right, so family rules. You probably have family guidelines in your own home. I'm sure you can think of a few even now as we're talking about it. But family rules are important. They help members of the family get along better, and they help the household function more smoothly. Now, interestingly, the Bible also has a list of family rules. These apply to the spiritual family. They're called the one another's. There are actually 59 one another passages listed in Scripture. These are statements that command believers to act in a certain way toward one another, thus the name. Now, all 59 are important, and obviously we can't walk through them all today. We could, we could do a series on that sometime too. Um, but I'll, instead of, of looking at that in a, a massive form here, we'll just highlight a couple of the key ones. Members of God's family are called to love. John 13, 34. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. 
We're called to accept one another. This is one of the family rules. Romans 15, 7, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you. We're called to forgive, Ephesians 4, 32. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. We're called to encourage. Hebrews 3, 13, encourage one another daily. To practice hospitality, 1 Peter 4, 9. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Doesn't matter how much they eat. <laughs> Confess and pray, another one. James 5.16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now, the rules for our spiritual family are important. And just like our earthly household rules, the one and others help members of the family of God relate to each other in a healthier way, spiritually healthier way, and function as the spiritual family of God in a manner that pleases him. A healthy spiritual family loves you and builds you up prays for you, sacrifices for you, ministers to you and with you. A healthy spiritual family encourages you and helps you change more into the likeness of Jesus. Here's the thing. You must be in a spiritual family to put God's household rules into practice. You can't follow any of the one another's by yourself. In fact, if you're not in a spiritual family, you're disregarding 59 passages of Scripture. You're just saying, I'm not going to do that. In order to, to obey what God has for us in terms of the family of God, you have to be in a local spiritual family. Now, there's another reason that spiritual family is important. Spiritual family is tremendously important because you are designed to be in a spiritual family along with the rest of the family of God. Now, understanding this new need for community begins with understanding the nature of God. So we're going to do in a minute and a half what theologians have written books about and have taken in hours and hours and hours to discuss. We're going to do it in a minute and a half. Okay, you ready? We're going to talk about the Trinity. In Deuteronomy, we read this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So the nature of God tells us that God is one God. He exists as one God. He's one, and yet there's three distinct aspects to who he is that accomplish different, different things according to, to his will and his plan. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So there's three distinct persons in that sense in terms of what they do, and yet they are one in terms of being God. And these exist in perfect relationship with one another. These exist in perfect harmony with one another. It's what theologians call the Trinity. Now, in Genesis, we're told humankind was created in the image of God. So this relational design that we see in God is built into us. That's why isolation was so terrible. We were built to need other people. That's why bubbles, my wife and I are empty nesters now. And I love being with her, but our bubble was only two people. We needed to be with our larger family. We needed to be with the larger family of God because we're built for it. All of us have that design. We were built for relationship with the spiritual family. Without it, we won't grow. We certainly won't thrive, and we maybe won't even survive. All right, so believers experience the goodness of God when we're actively involved in a spiritual family, striving together to function as God intended. So if you're not involved in a spiritual family, you're going to be miserable because you're not functioning as you were designed. 
It's like driving a nail with a screwdriver. It doesn't work. The other day we were doing some work in the office and I grabbed some old junky tools out of the back of my truck. Didn't have a good hammer. We were trying to start a lag bolt with an old crescent, like pounding it just to get it to bite a little bit. We didn't have a drill to get a hole started either. So wrong tools, right? Didn't work. You'll be frustrated like that because you're not designed to be alone. You need a spiritual family. Your spiritual family adds significance to your life, spiritually and, of course, relationally. You can't get what your spiritual family contributes to you anywhere else. You really can't. Not at work. Not online. No offense to our online people. But you can't get it online. Not in social clubs or even service groups. You can only find what you were designed for and what God desires for you within your spiritual family. Third thing that I see in the, in the passage in Acts here. Dearly believers supported and cared for each other. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Now, if we understand the culture of this time, we realize that families held to a common faith and belief system for generation after generation after generation. And to leave that faith tradition and embrace something else often meant that you were shunned. You're put out of the family. You're done. We're not ever going to talk to you again. That was the circumstance of many who put their faith in Jesus in, at, at Pentecost when Peter preached. They had nothing. Their families left them. And there was no social programs at that time either. And so many who trusted Jesus at that time were destitute. And so the early church responded. They came together to support one another, and they sold whatever they could to support those who needed it. Now, while the practice that we see in Acts 2 here isn't necessarily a command for all believers for all time, it does reveal the heart of God, I think, when it comes to caring for one another, especially the family of God. Here's Jesus' heart when it comes to giving to those who are in need. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. So I think it's pretty clear in Scripture. Believers are called to care for one another and even sacrifice for one another. That's just part of it. It's part of that koinonia thing, right? Unfortunately, this past season, I think for some, not all, but for some in our church family, they're wondering about returning because they feel they've not been cared for. And we've talked about this analogy before. For us, the pandemic has been like this receding tide that reveals all the trash on the bottom of the ocean, the bottom of the seabed. And it's exposed some gaps for us in terms of connection and care. And some have felt overlooked. Some have felt forgotten. You need to know that's not our heart. That's not the church family's heart. That's not our heart individually as staff and, and those who are a part of Ebenezer. That's not what we want to see happened. Unfortunately, in some cases, people have felt that. To those who felt that in the season, you know, we apologize. I'm sorry that that has happened, for sure. That being said, I still believe, I still believe that as followers of Jesus, we need a home church, that place where we can grow and connect and support one another. And I can say that because Scripture calls us to it. And I can say it because I'm one who's been wounded. And I'm not talking about Ebenezer. I'm not talking about you guys. I'm not talking about Leighton. We're all good. We did this in first service, so we're all good, right? <laughs> But prior to my time here, I have to say there was a season where I really wondered, am I going to go back to church, let alone serve? 
and, you know, a minister and a church staff again because I'd been so hurt. But slowly over time, God brought healing and he brings perspective. And as I learned to forgive, God opened my heart to the possibility of being involved again and even serving. Yeah, Ebenezer isn't perfect. No church is perfect. There's always going to be disappointment in a family. That is just a reality of living this side of heaven. There's always going to be disappointment. We're not always going to live up to one another's expectations. But nothing can replace the depth of fellowship that's possible within your spiritual family. You can't find it anywhere else. And if you think you can, that's your disappointment speaking or maybe even a lack of forgiveness speaking. As members of earthly families, we've all experienced hurt and disappointment. Same here. Hard stuff happens. The early church experienced this too. Back in Acts chapter 6, the church had grown so quickly that they couldn't keep up with the practical needs, and some of the widows were being overlooked in the distribution of food. Ouch. That had to hurt, right? Hard stuff happens. We saw it in the early church. But being a part of the family of God means that we've been forgiven by Jesus. And this gives us a common spiritual understanding and a spiritual bond and even a spiritual responsibility to forgive and to re-engage. And that's the next point here. Believers experience the goodness of God when we continue to connect and care for each other despite disappointment. And that's what the early church did. The apostles recognized that there was a gap in their capacity to care. They reorganized to meet the need. They, they hired Stephen, in a sense, and they continued as a community of faith, as members of that same spiritual family. And that's what we've done at Ebenezer here, too. We realized that we can't care for one another well if all we do is show up on Sunday morning. And it's good you're here. It's awesome that you're here. But we can't really get to know one another in this setting. And so we've made a commitment to get smaller by, by gathering in, in smaller settings and smaller groups uh, that we're calling life groups. And that's the place where we can get to know each other a whole lot better. It's the place where we can care for each other. It's a place where we can grow as disciples, and it's a place where we can minister together. And that's what we're moving towards more intentionally all the time, especially in the coming months. So watch for opportunities. There's going to be some services and some applications, some teaching time, some evening application where we can get together here at small groups and in, and in smaller gatherings. So watch for that. <clears throat> and that's what we'd like you to experience this morning. Well, thank you for listening. Don't forget to check out our church website at ebenezerbaptist.ca. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can let us know by clicking like and by subscribing to our podcast channel. God bless you, and thanks for listening.